Michael Waits Media, telling Asia's stories. Michael, you know, has always a little French sentence. <laughs> I'm honestly, says, I'm honestly not even trying to laugh. <laughs> Just the fact that that's there every single time. Every single time, Michael, we always start this way. <laughs> How are you doing, Martin? I'm doing awesome, Michael. Thank you very much. What about you? I cannot wait to start this episode of e-commerce undercover. It's, it's gonna be great. So we have a very great guest today. I'm very happy that we do this episode. <laughs> I said it offline. I love this name. Mm-hmm. Let's welcome. You do? <laughs> yeah, let, she's already laughing at me. <laughs> Let's welcome Amy Reed. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, the C- Amy. The CEO and the founder of TechSembly. Mm-hmm. I think Amy's good with names too because TechSembly, I love this name. It sounds very good. Uh-huh. It, it sounds very tech <laughs> and people are being assembled. I don't know. <laughs> Something. <Yeah. like> <laughs> but I do love the name. Amy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Nice to be here. It's, it's great to have you here. Look, we love starting with people's backgrounds. So why don't you give us some of your background and then we'll get deep into the deep into the rest of the show. Yeah, perfect. Um, hi, everybody. So my background is I'm from the UK. I was actually grew up in Scotland. I'm half Canadian, half Scottish. Um, and yeah, I've um, been in Singapore for 10 years now. Um, a bit of my background is I um, um, studied at a um, university in, in Glasgow, studied a business course degree. Um, after graduating um, from university, I moved down to London and joined um, BT, British Telecom, um, on their graduate scheme, working in marketing. Um, worked there for 10 years. Um, and then after that, we did a, a move to um, Asia, to Singapore. Um, and then I started working here in kind of like Facebook for a period of time. And then I worked for a company, which is a company called NMG Group, where I looked after their marketing. So I was a CMO. Um, and then after that, I went and started my own business. So seven years ago, I started a company called Gifts Less Ordinary. Um, always knew I was going to start my own business at some point. It was just a kind of a case of finding the right idea and also timings. Um, and then within, so from seven years ago, um, I've, as a result of Gifts Less Ordinary, I actually then launched a new business, which we pivoted to TechSembly, um, which is a tech company. And it's an e-commerce enabler. So... Yeah, so my background has been very much marketing and digital marketing um, to date. Amy, I want to get to TechSembly, I'm going to say in a minute, but I think it's going to be more than a minute. I'm really interested in this experience that you had at British Telecom. Yeah, can you tell me more about that? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, when I joined BT, I joined them on their graduate scheme. And actually, my first role within BT was actually working kind of, I guess, the pre.com, pre.crash. Um, and actually, I started in a kind of like what was almost like a little incubator unit. And we actually had um, the ability to really innovate. So we actually set up a marketplace. So it was a company called Get Started and Time Smart. And what we did is we brought together a number of third parties to help um, businesses who are starting up to kind of get like um, financial advice, to kind of like be able to benefit from like stationery, all the different things that they would need in terms of like managing and being successful and running their own business. So I was actually helped bring in all the the third parties. So that was kind of like my, my key role. And then obviously, of course, we kind of like realized at that point that we didn't have broadband. Dial-up was so slow. Um, 
anybody trying to order online, which is a pure type, it took you about 30 seconds um, for like one page to even load, um, if not longer. Um, and at that point then we realized that this wasn't the market for us. And obviously after the dot-com crash, um, I was actually responsible for actually closing down that unit, which was, oh, no. um, yeah, I know it was, it was the, to be honest, those years were one of the best years of my life because I think not it, to up to date um, at BT. And the reason being is because we were just able to really innovate, to do something very, very different. So the concept was right, but the timing wasn't. Can I ask this though, was BT so ahead of its time, right? Was it so innovative? In other words, did you walk into an environment where they were just like, go for it, just start innovating? Or was this almost like a skunk works group off to the side, like the Macintosh was inside of Apple? Like how did, how did that play out? Yeah, it was a completely different group. It was a group um, set off and that was kind of like, um, we had our own department. So we were able to act like a startup, which is very, very rare, particularly in a company like BT, when you kind of have different layers, different kind of like politics. And um, it, we were able to innovate. And we had that freedom for about two years. Um, and at those times, it was a really great team, great environment. I think, you know, as I say, those first couple of years where, Brilliant. We kind of like worked hard, play hard, but we had the ability to do what we wanted and just kind of like to, to innovate. So I remember when I joined Morgan Stanley in Tokyo and actually, frankly, Morgan Stanley in, in New York, and I'm well older than you, but it was all like building into growth for me, right? So we never had this fear that anything was going to shut down. And frankly, we didn't know until like 2007 that anything bad could happen. But you had this right at the beginning of your career, close to the beginning of your career, when you were still trying to figure out like corporate life to a certain extent. What was that experience like going through shutting something down? Very hard, very frustra frustrating, but it was also the right thing to do. Yeah. So what I had to do was do an analysis in terms of like, you know, what's working and what's not working. And there was a lot of resource um, set aside for kind of like focusing purely on this business units and really good, good resource. Um, you know, very good employees, very good people. Um, so it was frustrating because it was our little baby. And then when you have to make that decision to say, look, this is not going to work and this is not where the, 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 the business should focus at this stage, that was a tricky one. Right. Um, but, you know, fortunately, everybody kind of like moved on to different roles and were able to innovate in different departments. But yeah, it's a great learning stage from a, you know, as a first role in a corporate, it's a great, a great place to be. And I think that gave me a taste of kind of like entrepreneurship because, you know, we really did have like a very, very good working environment. And there was, you know, it probably was, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was fun. It was, it was, it was great to be able to have that freedom to innovate. Did you worry at that time that that was going to make other potential opportunities internally disappear, that you and your team may be associated with that thing failed so we can't give new things to this team because it may fail as well. Do you know what I mean? Did you, did you have that fear? Not really, because I think in terms of that process, we learned so much, like the learnings in that and like, you know, the ability to have that freedom and to learn and to learn from your mistakes. Um, and, you know, it, we had a great product. It was just purely the wrong timings. Yeah. And I think you take that learnings and it's, you know, it, and you can kind of like then adapt it into different roles across the company. Unfortunately, BT was such a big company and working in the marketing team, you had the opportunity to just kind of like move on. So every two years, typically, you would move on to different roles within the business. And what was the next thing you did at BT? So the next thing I did at BT, um, I then worked on a company, I worked on um, BT Answer, which was called 1571. So I actually, um, I guess I had a, a, a time in the organization where I was on a graduate scheme and I kind of like, I think I, I, 
Um, got promoted off the graduate scheme within six months. So I think I was one of the earliest people to get promoted wow. at, from, from a graduate scheme at that stage. Um, and then I kind of like um, quickly went through and got, I had a couple other promotions and I was um, looking at kind of like what the next role to do was. And um, I should have had, uh, you know, in the, if I was working in a company, like sorry, in a role that was all about kind of like bringing in customer data innovations. And um, I went for an interview and of course I went for an interview and, and I didn't get the role, the, the, the promotion that I should have got, which um, was frustrating, but it was actually a, a female HR advisor said at the time, you're progressing too fast and you're actually, yeah, and you're going to hit a wall. You're going to have a breakdown. And I said, but how's that, how's that, how, how does that, how can somebody make that, make that decision for, or based without, on your without me, like, without, without me, yeah. yeah, and, and, you know, other people had got their promotion who were, I guess, like, I guess a couple of years older, but also kind of like the, uh, a male, and, you know, it <laughs> kind of like a male, <laughs> kind of like a male. Yeah. But he was a male, but anyway, it frustrated me deeply because I knew that I should have had that promotion and it was, right. it, it felt like a huge injustice to not have it. Um, so I think at that point I was looking for jobs outside externally and they recognized that and they said, look, you can go and have a job anywhere across the business and marketing, choose which team you want to work on. Right. So they were all the kind of like the winning teams. This was seen as the cool products and everything else. And I remember going around and speaking to different teams. And then I found this team and it was, um, I, I loved the guy who was leading it. He was a complete maverick. He was kind of like, had a great technology idea. Um, there was just um, two people within the team. And it was basically with offering free messaging to, um, to the UK. So it was where you could dial in, you can have, then it would say, welcome to BT Answer. It's a free messaging machine. And um, it got like no kind of like, um, backing or commitment from the from the from the, the board primarily we did a trial in scotland and the trial didn't work at that point in time and of course knowing scots because i am scottish nobody believes um you know anything's for free there we want to know <laughs> what the answer is you know kind of like why you know <laughs> so that was kind of like was was very interesting that was where they were at and they were going to stop this product so i said look i want to go in and kind of like lead the marketing which i did um, and then I said, look, just give us three months to try and work this product out. And let, let's just give me three months. I really believe in it. And I believed in the team. I believed in the people. Like, um, and the technology was amazing, but we changed it. So I changed the branding to be 1571. We did a huge um, campaign with children in need. We, like, BT already generates like a, a million pounds they donate to charity and children need every year, but we never publicize or, or, or you know, publicize that message. So right. I created a, me a, a program where it's like every time you sign up, um, you, um, we give a, a, a pound to children need up to a million pounds. And it was a huge successful campaign. Um, and we won over, I mean, it was the biggest success story for BT for probably the next two or three years. Like we generated hundreds of million in additional revenue streams because we were based on coal completion and coal stimulation, which is a model they never had approached before. Um, and I loved it because that was the team that was kind of like, they weren't going to go ahead with it. They were going to, you know, they weren't, nobody was interested in it. Of course, once it's a success, everybody's everybody's interested. In it. <laughs> everybody's it was, it, for it. Yeah, it was everybody else's idea. <laughs> where was that? Where was that wall you were supposed to run into? <laughs> it Just was everywhere. Yeah, I, I know exactly right. That's that's it. But it, I took a step back in that role in terms of, um, I guess, uh, you know, the level I should have been at at that right. point. But then, of course, I got promoted to to manage the, uh, the marketing and run everything within that, that, that from the commercial side. 
Um, but um, yes, yeah, that's the interesting thing. Sometimes what I believe is that, you know, promotions and all this hierarchy you get in corporates, what you have to do is find that role that you really believe in or that product you believe in and the job that you really want to do. And that kind of like, it's what I've always been about. It's about where you innovate and, and, and do and what, what you believe in, you know, you can make things work if you have the right product, the right team in place. Yeah, I mean, you were super fortunate because you kind of were able to, what's the right word, satisfy your entrepreneurial spirit inside exactly. of a big environment. And that's just so great, no? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that was it, that's, you know, when you can find those little unique pockets, that's where it kind of like really works for you. And I was able to do that within BTN a number of times because I was able to move into different departments um, across, across the business. And I can only begin to imagine the number of things that you learned there that then you can build into your own sort of private entrepreneurial life, right? All these experiences that you had. I want to understand how Glow started, right? Gifts Less Ordinary. How did that start? So that started seven years ago. So I was working at a company for, um, called NMG, um, where I was looking after their marketing. And I knew always I was going to run my own business. Like that was just something that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah and exactly. And then I had my um, third child and um, I was out and I, was, I, I realized I wanted to do something different. If I don't start um, the entrepreneurial journey now, I'll never do it. Um, and I had a great idea. A, a friend sent me a gift um, that came from the UK that was beautifully gift boxed for, for my son. Um, and it was beautifully, everything was embroidered. And it was, I realized you don't get anything like this in Asia. Like what you tend to find here, in, in, in particularly in Singapore, is the high kind of like brand, the, you know, the luxury brands like your Prada, your Dior's, sure, or your kind yeah. of like high street brands. But there's nothing kind of like this was lacking unique or artisan gifts or kind of something that's, you know, handmade and created. So um, I set about um, starting a marketplace and um, the unique aspect of that marketplace was the ability for us to have multiple like localized storefronts. So in Singapore, I could bring together Singapore artisans with global suppliers um, in Hong Kong, Hong Kong artisans and global suppliers. And we recognized that, that, that the growth for us was the ability to have multiple storefronts. So I could just duplicate a storefront. I could set something up in um, Australia, New Zealand, the UAE, and then tailor it to that local market to really drive demand. Now, um, I built the platform um, on Magento. In fact, one of my co-founders for TechAssembly, he actually co-founded one of the, um, the, the Magento agency that we used within the UK, which is a very well-known, well, it was a very well-known agency at that time. And we had a great rapport. He, I, I guess he probably found it quite challenging in the sense that <laughs> what we did is we did so many customizations and we, we would always be challenging. He said, that you, don't, you don't need multiple base currencies. That's going to confuse things. If you keep it very simple, keep it to the core, you don't have to kind of like, it will just make the platform work um, better in kind of terms of speed. Um, anyway, I still said like, we need to do the customization. I want to be a global, global <laughs> Thanks for your advice, but no thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys, but no thank you. Yeah, he loves me really, but it's, it's um, I, I think I was probably very frustrating in terms of a client, but I realized you have to do what you believe is right and kind of like what your USP is. And that is what, is what I felt was, was really core to what we were doing. So we quickly realized that the platform we were on was causing like re-indexing issues, like sometimes seven hours of re-indexing, kind of like there was, we needed to do customizations where we were able to push content live. Um, when you have all these different base currencies, all these different content tailored, it's very, very difficult to kind of grow and scale. Yeah. So we then also, um, we had an agency support us um, 
in Asia to, who also basically said to us, your technology is way too complex. <laughs> like it, 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 it's so complex, we can no longer service it anymore. Um, this, is so, a tech, this is a tech agency though. I want to be clear tech, about this. This is a tech agency, yeah. So um, Ross had, had joined me. He basically left his agency and he became the CTO of um, Gifts Less Ordinary. So together we, we, we basically managed the product and we had a tech team supporting us um, here in Asia. And I remember that call that came through and I can remember exact place I was when I had that call. And he said, look, your technology, this is, this is, it's just not gonna happen. We're not gonna support you anymore. I said, so what are you gonna do? He said, nothing, like nothing. <laughs> You're just gonna walk away though? Like how's that away. possible? <laughs> exactly. And you kind of like feel like that moment, oh my goodness, it's like the walls are kind of closing in on you. What do you do? Like, you know, I've got a product that I've managed to really scale. I know I can scale it further if I can just push out these localized storefronts. And um, yeah, he's basically, I, I had that moment where it says, right, you know, we can either close everything down or we replatform. So the replatform was what we did. Um, yeah, you just don't seem like somebody that just going to stop and give up. That's a compliment, <laughs> no, by the way. No, no, I just you. don't feel that in you. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And, and you know, it's, I think sometimes you perform the best when you're under pressure. Absolutely. When you kind of feel that, you know, you've got to find a way out. And so in, in my head, I was just thinking, we need to find a solution to this. How can we do better? How can we, how can we do this? I can't go back to my kind of investors. I go back to, to our customers, our vendors and say, look, we're, we're closing down because our technology is too complex. This doesn't make sense. No. So um, we looked at all the different platforms that are out there. We looked at like Shopify, the big commerce, everybody else. And their whole focus is kind of like a lot on standardization. I know they talk a lot about kind of like localization, but really it is a standardized solution. Um, and, you know, there's obviously doing a lot of innovations and enhancements to that, but they, everybody recognizes if you are global, you may be global, but you need to localize to the needs of the markets. And in each market that you're in, particularly in Asia, we might be geographically close, but culturally we could be more different. Yeah, and so, I yeah. yeah. I want to point out, though, that there's this fallacy that localization is really just like changing the language. Right, just yeah. it has to be in Bahasa Indonesia, or it has to be in Hangul in Korea, or just translate it to Japanese. And I know this from years, like I said, of working in Morgan Stanley and developing software and trading systems across the globe. You could just you can put Japanese labels on it because I was in Japan, but it could actually get super confusing because culturally the terminology is really different, right? And the way people use technology is really different. Sorry, go ahead. I want to I want to hear from you like these struggles about localization as well. Yeah. And that's it. It's not just about having a different kind of like um, it, currency. It's about important to have a different base currency. So you can actually mm. upload different storefronts in different base currencies. It's about having different kind of like logistics, uh, different content, um, different um, uh, promotions locally and being able to really tailor every aspect of that storefront to the local market. So we replatformed after it took us about a year, year and a half of, of building it. We replatformed um, Ross with my CI, CI, he was the CTO of Gifts Less Ordinary. And we partnered with um, two other tech um, developers who I'd worked with previously on a different project. And did, you, the, did you build from scratch? Sorry. Yes, we did. Yeah. So Just we built everything, everything from scratch, from the ground up. <laughs> so, and I mean, they're great. They're, 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 I mean, I'm so lucky. We have an amazing co-founding team. Um, they have three, an immense um, number of years of experience in terms of technology, like they've worked with like DBS, OCBC, like Ross has kind of like built a number of different, very successful um, e-commerce sites. 
Um, and so we all came together to build um, Gifts Less Ordinary onto this new platform. And it was um, heads down, challenging everything. You know, we really worked through what we wanted to offer localization. And we used all the experience that we had right. with Glow to make that happen. Um, and then, so we were very proud of the kind of like, you know, that the, the site was up there and launched. And um, we then went out um, to a conference in Hong Kong um, in Rise. And we met up with uh, um, the HSH team, the, the Peninsula team came up to us and said to us, their, their head of innovation said, look, we've been looking for a technology solution that allows us to have one centralized platform, but multi-properties and, and storefronts that can be localized to the needs of the market. In addition, we want to be able to delegate control of those storefronts to the local properties um, so they can manage the orders, what products they want and everything else. Right. But at the same time, because we are a, a well-known luxury global brand, we want to be able to have all the central insights and analytics in one place. So we want to be able to big brother, control what's going on, delegate controls to different properties. And how, and did, that, they, how did they know that you were doing this? Did you make a presentation at Rise? So, and they no. heard your presentation? No, or you're just walking no. around? And they just walked around and they came, they came over and they said, what is it you do? And they, oh, you've got gifting. And they obviously were looking for kind of like uh, an e-commerce solution that supported gifting. And they said, how does it work if you're in Singapore and Hong Kong? And we just got talking and we just showed them the site. And they said, oh, this is really, this is really great. This is exactly what we want. But, you know, can you do like support local payouts for the properties? Can you do this? And we were saying, yeah, I mean, like we've never thought about, you know, transitioning this to a SaaS solution, but actually this is something we can do. Right. So um, after a number of like um, discussions, we, they asked us to go for this, um, their program, which is a kaleidoscope um, innovation um, program. So we went and applied. We went and sat at the, um, the peninsula in Hong Kong. We presented to the whole board, the whole team, the CEO. Um, and they were looking for kind of like, you know, um, an incubator program. And actually, we didn't get through to the incubator program because they said, your technology is so advanced. We just want to kind of like, we just, we, 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 we want to go ahead with it. So Let's skip that. Just go, yeah, right yeah. To go right to the build. And so that's what we did. We went through and we worked with them and they were a great team, like really like able to kind of like to help us to, to innovate. And we, we worked in partnership with them to build a solution that would allow them to have all of their different um, storefronts, properties, have their own tailored e-commerce storefront. Right. Um, and we launched that in, January, uh, January last year, 2020. So kind of <laughs> just, just pre, pre kind of like the kind of like um, the, the, the pandemic. Perfect timing. Um, it was perfect. So yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> but, but what it was great was that fortunately, because we got live at that point, because obviously there's hospitality is budget cuts and everything else that going, going later. But right. they recognized that this was a really good source of revenue. Um, it's a really good source of income for, uh, for them. And we were able to, um, because we're so agile, we were able to kind of like really innovate for that product. So we were able to say, they said, you know, uh, Valentine's Day wasn't coming in Paris. Can you support F&B? So within two weeks, we developed, um, developed kind of like an F&B um, kind of like solution. So now what we offer, which is really um, very unique, is kind of like an integrated checkout process. So um, that allows for multi-product types. So for instance, I can have my F&B delivery tomorrow between one and two. Um, at home, I can do a digital gift voucher that gets sent directly to you. I can then have like um, products within that same cart, and I can have third-party products. So third-party products that are shipped for, uh, that are delivered from third, you know, overseas, like a, you know, a third-party supplier, all within one integrated checkout. 
And at the moment, what you're seeing within the hospitality sector is a lot of these, um, the, to, to innovate, they might have a F&B site. So they would have different logins, uh, an F&B site that they manage through a, a partner. They would then have their own kind of like gifting site where they might sell some moon cakes and actual products, candles, luxury stuff. And then they would have a, a gift voucher site, which where they would sell spa vouchers or kind of um, high tea, which is obviously huge demand now because people are looking for things to kind of like look forward to as a result of like um, COVID. anything to do a- anything exactly anything to do exactly so um so that's what we we built is which is a new kind of like so we are, that's kind of like another usp and we quickly realized that when we looked at all the different hotels this is something that is really in demand this is something that's very you know unique and it can, we can show actively prove how much growth we can drive and we can see that you know across the hotels that we're onboarding, we make a significant difference in terms of like, we can increase conversion rates by up to 70%. We can really drive phenomenal traffic. And the hospitality industry is so, you know, that they, they're luxury brands. Like they really want to protect their brands and they want to make sure they have the right platform, the right customer service, the right support. And that's what we do. And I guess using all the experience I've had from gifts that's already from managing like um, retail and managing that kind of like that, that experience, making sure you deliver that exceptional service. It's all kind of like works to kind of like help us evolve into the product that we've built today. I just find this evolution really interesting, right? You have this one idea and that is I got this great gift from somebody and it's very unique and I want to build that for everybody else, right? Because the gifts that I'm getting otherwise are just like Chanel and Prada and who cares because it's just in a way it's expensive, but it's commoditized, right? So you want something different. So you build this whole platform and then it just gets too complex for an agency to support, which I still, I love that part of the story. They're like, yeah, we're a tech development team, but not that tech, that hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> challenges exactly. over here. Just- well, actually, like, to be fair, Michael, like I had the same experience you with did, my company, you right? Did, like, you did. And that, that's, that's really funny because when you talk about your company and all the stuff that you've gone through, actually, like, it sounds like me, I could say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> because like when I build my tech company and I think like we, we are both non-tech people at first, right? But we, so we see things from the customer point of view and from the competitor point of view, let's say, right? So we are like, if the competitor can do it and if the customer wants it, we have to do it, right? So like, don't tell me that we cannot do it. And, uh, and yeah, so like I was kind of in the same situation as you, like trying to find around like who can build it for me. And everybody was like, no, you cannot do that. That's, that's, that's impossible. And then I'm like, but I already started and it's worked. <laughs> it's working <already>. <laughs> <laughs> And it's working. So, so yeah, so like, to be fair, I think this is where so you see that there is an opportunity, right? Like kind of like a gap in the market where, where the people who knows, people who have experience, just don't want to do it. It means I don't, I don't know what, but like it means that there is a place for us who are ready to 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 to, to do it, and then there must be a market there. So like it worked for me, it worked as well for you. So I think that's like two two validation of this idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we talk about this all the time, right? You can go in with one idea. Mm-hmm. The best thing that can happen is people can tell you you can't do that because what it means is that it's so hard that nobody else is going to try. Like the difficulty is in a way the moat around your business, right? You saw this in your multi-site stuff. They're yeah, like, yeah. oh, nobody can do that. Okay, but I've already did it. I just want to do it again <laughs> faster or whatever. Bigger. <laughs> Bigger, that's it. And it's the same kind of thing. But you've all, you also iterated from, and I don't want to say that the hospitality business isn't e-commerce. It's just not the e-commerce that people think about, right? They think about, there's a doll. I want to buy that doll and give it to my son. And there's a good and that's given, right? That's it. But anything that happens online that requires some sort of transactional value is e-commerce. 
Is that fair? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sorry. But I I think that's very interesting because when you think about hospitality during the pandemic, everybody think about hotels are closed, uh, like lots of revenues, no more tourists and all of that stuff. Right. Like, I don't think a lot of people think about hospitality, growing into e-commerce, adding new line of businesses and projects and starting, starting to sell over kind of stuff and having that to, to work, right? So like you started that, you told me like, yeah, you said January 2020. So during like this almost two years of doing that, have you seen like this idea really helping the hospitality business during the pandemic? Have you seen like a very, very huge difference? Huge difference, yeah. And okay. um, a number of the hotels were actually closed over the period. So what they were able to do was, um, this was kind of like the primary source of like um, revenue to be generated. So there's, you know, it kind of like helps support like the experience of the same people are desperate for things to look forward to. Um, and, you know, we were all kind of like, you know, down in lockdown and everything else. What do you gift somebody? And you're seeing this a lot as well. People from overseas want to gift family. They want to give them the kind of like an F&B home delivery or they right. want to kind of like give them a spa voucher. So, yeah, we see this as being a really, it's a really good growth opportunity. And the one thing I'd say as well is that, you know, um, retail as we know it today like where i see the biggest challenge for retail is these luxury hospitality brands these are experienced brands experiential they can give retail a huge run for their money because there's a consistency in these brands these five-star brands in terms of the service in terms of the product in terms of the fulfillment you know um luxury hotel brands don't want to be kind of like sending out their f&b delivery with a grab driver um you know they've got to keep that kind of like that consistency and that control and what our platform does is allows them to do that and it allows them to do the upsell because of the integrated checkout um so yeah we see it as being there's huge demand and so so now i was just over in the uk last week we're onboarding another two large um hotel luxury luxury hotel groups that will be going live in the next like um six eight weeks but that brings together like close to like 80 properties so 80 hotel properties so there's there's a lot to be um had in this space and i think we're just getting started um but we can see where we add value. And what's great is we say, well, you know, they want to say on the coming the booking system, we've got events that we're doing, like great Gatsby events, for instance, in the, the, the Peninsula Hotels. They say, we want to kind of like schedule this for booking. So we're, of course we can just build very agile, add another product, but it goes across the SaaS, so it benefits all of our clients. So the more luxury hotel clients we have on there, we can really innovate. Have you seen a mindset change in the way that they, <clears throat> excuse me, are approaching just their own spaces and all and the services and even the goods that they can offer. Right. So you said during the, the heart of the pandemic, right. Nobody was going to go stay in a hotel room, but if you could have ordered dinner from there, you would have done that if you had known that that was possible. But I think in the old days, meaning pre 2020 hotels thought you're not a guest, we're not serving you kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, but now yeah. you've opened up this entire market to them. Like, I'd love to get some Mandarin Oriental cookies, right? Or, yeah. or, or a bath. I'm serious. Or like a bath towel because they're so nice. And I think this is the point you're trying to make is that instead of going to Prada, I can go to the Mandarin or I can go to some other hotel group, right? Like the Peninsula, exactly. And then get their goods just delivered to me, even if I don't stay at the hotel and I can get them from Hong Kong if I'm in Bangkok. That's, Absolutely. That's brand new, no? 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's it. That's it. And people are looking at you. I mean, the mooncakes are themselves as well. People would love, like, kind of like you look at the Peninsula mooncakes. I mean, they, they, they sell out all the time. I mean, it, these are kind of like, it's, there's, a, there's a kind of like um, customers expect with that product. They have the reliability that is a certain standard and a high standard. And so, yeah, you're right. And the other thing as well is bedding. So even like when you go and stay in one of the beds, you have the best night's sleep ever. And you think, well, why can't my bed be like that? But just the um, pillows, right? Exactly. It's so true. I still can't replicate the pillows. You know? <laughs> I want one of them. So do I. I want two of them, but yeah. So yeah. that's so that's definitely very interesting. And how do you see like the next, let's say, two to five years? Do so you think because like we didn't see clearly that during the pandemic that's something that like hospitality industry needs but now that it should like open and go back to to, to normal do you think it's, it's, it's still gonna be like a huge need do you think it's, it's going to change somehow or on the other hand do you see that you can like open the eyes of everyone on this new line of business and it's just gonna keep growing Oh, I think it's definitely going to grow. And I think you're going to see a lot more further investment in it. I think people are starting to, the hospitality industry are really starting to see the potential um, just in terms of like the, the sales that can be through, but also the innovations. Like how great is it if you've got a collaboration, let's say you're doing something with F1 and then you want to sell F1 products via your site. I mean, there's so much opportunity to be there. And also kind of like these, these local hotels, they also have, want to have like, you know, a take, take home a taste of Singapore. So like, you know, collaborations, local themed um, artisans. Um, you know, there's a real opportunity for not only just for, for takeaway, but also in room as well. So guests who, you know, who are like traveling, when we do travel again with work um but you know you've got to you've got to get the kids a present right there's an expectation that when you go traveling you have to bring them home something and if it's anything like my husband he'd go to the airport he'd buy something from like a kind of as a sweet shop or a, a, a key ring or something just and he gives it to kids and their the fate their look of disappointment just shows it but if you if you if you could, uh, you know, give them something like from Singapore, or Singapore delicatessen, something to try and experience. These are great things to be able to, to, to innovate and have. And I think that's what hotels are looking for more and more because it's a really personalized service. If you're really changing the mindset of these hotels, and sorry, this just popped into my head, right? We talked about the pillows and the towels and even the mooncakes, right? Do the hotels then turn into, I mean, obviously people will stay there. That's always going to happen. The pandemic will end at some point and people will travel. You just came back from a trip. A bunch of my friends are starting to travel. I'm very confident this is going to happen. But does the hotel turn into like hotel is warehouse as well, where then they have to inbuild logistics into their hotels and understand if there's one version of the hotel here and then, you know, the same brand, but a different level over here, they share warehouse space there. So if somebody orders something from them, their logistics can actually be much more efficient as well. Absolutely. And so that's because our core and where we started from was really marketplace. Right. What we can do is, so let's say um, you're looking at one hotel and they've got an F&B department, they've got a gift shop, they've got, um, you know, um, the spa. And um, what we can do is we can actually set these different um, um, units, I guess, the different departments up as kind of like a vendor. So basically, the F&B department will only get access to the F&B sales. So there's, it, it's all like tailored. So they will have access to their, their orders. They'll have their own dashboard CMS where they can just manage purely those products. Um, again, you can have something set up for the spa, but if it's also globally, so if you've got one, um, some certain items, let's say the, the, um, um, the bed linen, that's from a global department overseas, 
that can also become there because it's, it's different logistics, different products, different, different timelines. It can all work really well in terms of for an integrated solution. So really it's that flexible because it's multi-users, multi-logins, multi multi-vendors, multi, multi but still retain that centralized control. That's super cool. <laughs> that's super cool. And I'm wondering, we talked a lot about hospitality so far. Do you want, do you plan to go to other verticals or you plan to stay in, in the hospitality business for now? Um, for now, we're staying very focused in the hospitality industry yeah. because I feel like we can really, there's a lot more for us to do and to innovate. And we're all looking at new products to introduce um, that I hope will come at the end of this year that will really, again, further innovate in this space. Um, but we do have marketplace clients. We do have other clients like we work with like um, Fitness First where they have different gyms and they want different mm -hmm. click and collect for different, right. different products. So we do have those type of clients, but our primary focus is hospitality for now. Um, that's not to say going forward in the future, we will be able to expand this out into different areas because the technology is already built for that. And we actually have a self-serve solution that we've already built and fully tested, but we just haven't rolled out yet, um, which is purely on marketplace. Um, but for right now, we love, the hospitality is, so, I feel so aligned with kind of like our core values as well. I think it's just, we love these brands. Every time I look at them, I get so inspired and I think, <laughs> I actually thought I knew what five-star hotels were. Right. So I met some of these five-star hotels. And I'm thinking, I've never heard of these hotel groups before, but now, now I've got a taste of it. It's a bit, it's a bit worrying. In, <laughs> in, a, in a way, do you look back on the pandemic as maybe a benefit to you in the sense that the hotels now know, now they're hungry for new technology and new innovations, whereas before they were just, I don't want to say coasting, but they were just very comfortable with the fact that their luxury brand and everybody knew about it kind of thing. And now they're thinking, wait a second, we never know what's going to happen. If we can add different types of revenue or different types of services, we have to have this in a way. It's not even a nice to have, it's a must have. Is that fair? That's absolutely fair. It's very true. Very true. And I think um, what the hospitality groups like with working with us is that because the whole team, I mean, it shows our age, we've all got like 20 plus, you know, the, the core team has got um, 20 plus years of experience in e-commerce and, and, um, and, and retail. So, they like to work with us in partnership because we actually, we can, we, we look at the, the, the sites, we look at the SaaS, we look at the stats and we always try and innovate. So we're always trying to come up and say, oh, here's a new product idea. This is something we're rolling out. I think it could be beneficial for you. And we try and make sure that it's our goal is to generate significant incremental revenue from where they are now. So we're constantly innovating and, you know, the hospitality groups are a great group. So the, the, the teams there, they really get it. They're really looking for ideas. And they really want to innovate this space and we're going to continue to do, to, to do so. Do you get, again, we talked before about um, the mindset change and even for just the goods and some of the services that they offer. A lot of what happens at a hotel are like weddings, right? Very fancy weddings, but also conferences and things like that. Is there a way for them to be, instead of reactive, just waiting for a booking or selling to people that are having a wedding, create their own events? Right, even high tea would be a perfect example of this and just say, we have the infrastructure here and during high tea, we're only 30% occupied, right? Yes, yes. So why not just advertise that as a thing, right? And the first 100 people that sign up get like a 10% to something. I don't know how that works, but you know what I mean? Being proactive about that. And then that becomes a thing to do, right? Is that happening as well? Exactly. So one of the new products that we're actually, well, one of the new features that we're adding is like kind of like is, is event booking. It's kind of like being able to have different inventory assigned to different kind of like um, key events. So we are 
looking at that. Another thing that we're finding is very interesting is what we are um, going to be launching at, at some point is an actual going back to the gifts-less ordinary model, an actual marketplace to actually support these brands and drive new customers to them. And because it will be automatic, auto-synced, so basically you'll still have one login, but you can push out to other marketplaces. So for instance, you can push out to other distributors or other, other, other parties who want to sell your products on your behalf. So what we're doing is we're kind of like, we're, we're creating kind of like this um, ecosystem that really is going to support hospitality across the piece and really looking to try and innovate in, in that area. Um, yeah, obviously leveraging from our, our past experience of being a marketplace from the start. Have you uh, mentioned in third party like booking.com or Agoda or this type of third, third party or complete other kind of third, or third party we can sell the hospitality stuff? Yeah, we can actually, we, because we're all like headless and because we're all API driven, we can push products into any kind of, um, any third party, whether it be a marketplace, whether it be um, uh, kind of like, a, let's say a, a corporate gifting site. So, you know, using the, the, the vouchers to, mm -hmm. to feature for like, you know, for, for people who um, want like luxury experiences, like corporate gifting, all of that things we can do. That's cool. As you onboard more and more properties, in the hospitality space, you're going to start to gather a ton of data. Yes, is, there, yes. is there a data strategy here too? And do you build out your own data science team, your own ML ops? Like, how does that work? So we have a, we have within the internally, we have a number of people who are looking at all the analytics and insights at all, at all times. Mainly it's to do with kind of like conversions, what's selling well. But what we will be doing is we will at some point be kind of like producing, I guess, anonymized um, reports, which kind of can help innovate them even further to give them kind of like some of the ideas and things that they should be doing to kind of like further improve their sales. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And that's something that we do with our partners just to try and help them, you know, to continue to kind of like innovate and grow. So when you first started selling this a year and a half ago, is it a year and a half, almost two years ago now, like what's changed in the sales process between then and now? We're very, very focused. Um, so what we, when we started out, we were looking at having kind of like our, our, our pricing structure with a, a standard monthly reoccurring fee. So it would be a, a license fee per storefront. But then we realized as well that all these hospitality groups were saying to us, we want the product. But, you know, there's budget restraints. We can't because of like the, you know, we can't be seen to be investing in anything. So we started to realize that the... Um, the, the potential here was significant. And so we look at kind of like with those hotel groups to just be a commission structure only. So it kind of like works in their favor and works in our favor because then we're innovating together. Like we're really in partnership. Like our volumes come through when you, yours is a success. So we give them marketing ideas, innovation ideas, you know, things as well to try and really help drive um, additional sales for them. I always feel like successful entrepreneurs are basically taking all of this stuff that they've learned throughout their whole lives and kind of dropping it all down to the bottom of the funnel. I mean, you just said marketing ideas. And I feel like this is something you were doing when you first started at British Telecom. And it's just, the, the, no, but you know what I mean? Like you've done all of this stuff, whether it's marketing or tech development or building the free call thing from scratch or understanding the freemium model, thinking about the SaaS model, all these things just drops down to the bottom. And I think that helps drive being a successful entrepreneur, no? Yeah, absolutely. You have to learn. You have to think on your feet. You have to be able to kind of like pivot where necessary. And you have to be kind of like very focused on kind of like what's working. So, 
you know, everybody always says it's the end result you're after, but actually it's a journey that's part of it. The journey is the more fun. That's, that's kind of like where you, you know, I feel like some people say you do an, you know, could do an MBA, but you can learn so much more than, you know, doing your, setting up your own business than any MBA will ever teach you. I could not agree with you more. I feel like I've had an MBA in insurance because I do this insured tech podcast over the past couple of years. I didn't know anything about it. And now I feel like I know more. <laughs> Let's just say more, not a lot, but definitely more. Did you have a sense of dread as the pandemic just lengthened? Do you know what I mean? Because in the context of the building, you're excited about that. But is there a sense of dread? Like, is this thing ever going to be over? When are we going to come out of this? Yeah, I mean, from a, from a personal perspective as well, there was obviously that sense of dread. But when we first started selling into the hospitality groups, there was obviously a reluctance. I think there was at the start, they were scared. Everyone was trying to work out what to do. The last thing they wanted to do was talk about new products and features. Um, but now that's all very much changed. Like we're seeing a huge change in that kind of like that, that mentality. They've, they've got it. They kind of like they want to do this. They're, you know, the finance are now starting to give them the backing and the support to do it. Um, and it's and it's great because we you know they, they with 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 COVID and I guess it's being prolonged is they're very keen to get this up and running because once COVID is over they can see it even scale even further. Well, that's the thing, right? Because it is this is the point that I was trying to make earlier, right? Is that when it is over, this thing should explode, right? Because you know yeah. everyone's just at every level of the travel pyramid, whether it's the thirty dollar a night hotel or the fifteen hundred dollars a night you know Amman resort, whatever it is everybody wants to go somewhere. And when it does, this is just going to explode, right? Absolutely. That's it. That's it. And Yes. Sorry, please go, go ahead. Oh, no, I, was just going to say, and I, I think they're much more comfortable, like, you know, kind of like with all the safety protocols and everything else that these, um, the, hosp- the hotels are doing. Um, everybody wants a piece. Everybody's ready. Everybody yeah. really is ready. <laughs> Super and, ready. And yeah, and, and what I wanted to add is that I think there's a lot of opportunity as well on the concierge side because there's so many startups, so many companies who launch an app just to drive you from the airport to the hotel. We were we, 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 we limo, for example, and we, we can like go get your stuff in town for you and, and all of that kind of stuff. And this is something that you can definitely integrate very easily into your software. Either you build it by yourself or you just use the API to plug in any kind of companies. But I feel like this can, this can also be like a new line of business when people are going to start tra- traveling again that can be very, very easily implemented pretty fast and add a lot of value to the end customer. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. I, was, I was thinking before when you were talking about like the hotels, right? The Peninsula does not want to sell their goods and then have it delivered by Grab. No mm-hmm. insult intended to Grab, but yeah. just the brands are completely different. So is there a way to build like a white glove logistics provider that you own, you know what I mean? Like tech assembly transportation that then fits in so that whenever you onboard a new hotel, you already own that, you know, the delivery of like some lady or some guy showing up in a tuxedo with the mooncakes kind of thing. It's actually, it's actually very interesting because it was something that we discussed with a, with a, with a hotel group the, the, um, a couple of weeks back. There is a demand for that. There is. It is, yeah. And it's making sure that you have that level and that quality of service. Um, I think that's something that we would look to try and partner with a logistics provider to kind of like to offer. Um, but there is that definitely opportunity because we are, you know, as we said before, we can kind of plug into any existing logistics provider out there. Um, but we need to try and find that one that the, the, the hotels would support. So often they're using their own fleets. Right. Um, but, you know, there, there, there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah, because let's say it's, let, let's say I want to go out to dinner 
I'm not staying at the hotel, but I want to have sort of the fancy car that the hotel has, right? The BMW 7ILE or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Pick yeah. me up, take my wife or take my girlfriend out to dinner somewhere. It could be anywhere, right? I could still pay for that. And it feels like you're getting that peninsula experience or some fancy hotel experience. And the driver then comes and picks you up and takes you home as well. It's just another way because those cars are probably just sitting doing nothing when they're yes. not picking people up from the airport, right? So there's a whole bunch of different things you can do. Sorry to give it away to everybody else. No, I'm just no. Off my head, though. Yeah, but you're right. And you, you know, we can really innovate in this space. And the nice thing as well is because we are a marketplace. So what we can do, let's say the, um, a hotel a group or hotel wants to be able to offer unique experiences or luxury experiences that they want to have or exclusive experience that they want to sell to their guests. Right. They can do that because that basically there'd be a market, they're a third party vendor, they're a third party. Um, they can put uh, um, their, sell their products via a dedicated storefront on the site that could be then created in with the mix. So you can even add like, for instance, as that event would be, do you want to go to the opera, uh, to a theater tickets tonight? You can purchase it via the site and then you can have add-on, add the limo driver to pick you up. Mm-hmm. Easy. It's kind of like, it's all built in there because we, we, we treat these um, third parties as kind of like um, vendors. So they have their own dashboard, they have their own CMS. It's a way to kind of like to channel sales. So basically in order to pick you up from the hotel at 12 to one, you're then going to the, your show at one to two. Um, it, it's very easy for us to kind of like to configure that. But I love this because even if you're not staying at the hotel, right? So if the hotel just focuses on the people inside, that's great, right? But if they focus a little bit on people outside, like you're starting to do, again, if I'm going out to, if it's my anniversary or whatever it is, it's an event that's personal, I go see the opera in the hotel car. And then when the opera is done, I go have drinks at the hotel and maybe yeah. have dinner there. And then they take me home and I've never stayed at the hotel, but the hotel shares all that revenue. Absolutely. Yes, so exactly. Cool. And, so, and so what about making an app to make life much easier yes. <laughs> to, to order all of that stuff here? What about just making an app for the end customer, like either one app for each hotel or one app with all the hotels you work with, like really up to you how the end customer wants that. And then Michael can order his dinner easily more, his, <laughs> his, uh, his moon gate and all of us. I'm already planning things. That, that, you can feel that it. Directly from the, I know, Michael, because I know exactly what's the perfect service for you. <laughs> I know this is exactly what you want. And, and I can tell you, it's, it's, it's excited to have that in Vanguard. <laughs> Very. So like, is it also like kind of a timeline to make an app for the end, for the end users? So um, at the moment, we aren't, aren't looking to make an app. But it is something that we can easily do because we are kind of like that. Yeah, headless. Yeah, definitely. We can easily do that. Um, One of the things we are looking to do, though, is to build like all the luxury five star and like the real luxury experiences, help support them and drive additional revenue streams for those businesses by creating a marketplace that we can then push out and use it to select third parties as well. So that's something that's in the pipeline for us. You mean creating your own marketplace and then feed inside the marketplace the product from the others and then exactly. sell it yourself, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's because that's where our core experience is. We know how to, you know, from, from Gifts Less Ordinary and from, from the, another, other brands I've, I've owned, it's about driving traffic. And so yeah. that's something that we can really help and um, help innovate um, with as well. Yeah, and these, these luxury lifestyle brands don't want to be on the same platform as the sort of, I don't want to say like the low level hotels, but like the five-star hotels don't want to be in the same platform with the one-star hotel because it's just noise for people. 
I'm not, I'm not looking at a one-star hotel and then going, oh, I'll just stay at a five-star hotel. I'm looking for five stars, right? So that's where I, and I don't want the rest of it to look at. Um, yeah. And I've thought about this a lot, right? It's like a high-end mall that just has Gucci, Chanel, and Prada in it. I don't want to be Kmart, I don't want to have Kmart there either, right? Because it's just noisy. Exactly. That's it. And it's very, it has to be very well created yeah. and all very focused on just purely on the luxury side of things. So, you know, that that's kind of like what we want to kind of like help them support. And that's what people want. They don't want to buy the one star experience. You know, that's kind of like, you know, you, they want they want the, they want the top. And it's particularly for gifting as well. Right. Don't give me yeah. a one star. Give me a five star. Exactly. <laughs> but like, I don't know, based on all our, of our conversation, I feel like you are going to apply your te- te- technology somewhere else at some point. <laughs> because like, oh, all of that start, started with a con- conversation with a customer, right? Like, actually not, not, not a customer, more like potential customers who kind of knew what you wanted and you were doing something else and you discussed and you're pivoting to do that. And now you see that there's a huge market for that, which was not the or, or original idea. So why not just have another conversation in six months with, <laughs> with, 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 with another p- p- potential just, just customer who stayed into one of the hotels like helped by TelSembly and who say, this is awesome and I can apply that to my business. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely going to happen. The same thing. That's definitely going to happen. I'm pretty sure that you are going to say, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. The thing is at the moment with the hospitality and the reason we've stayed focused because for us, it, it's so we've got all the core features built mm-hmm. they're already ready and so it's really plug and go but obviously our yeah there's huge growth potential because the platform is so agile so flexible it's so adaptable um across multiple markets you can even think about like it from a let's say a distributor a luxury distribution watch distributor they might um at the moment they might have a distributor in in, in hong kong in, in singapore and what they do is they would then like kind of like um that distributor might set up its own site and then it's own kind of like storefront. What if you want to get rid of that distributor? And what I want, I want to know as a brand owner, I want a big brother, how that distributor is managing my products. And if I ever decide to change distributors, I want them on my platform. So I basically want to take them off, but I still want the SEO equity. I still want the kind of like the customer database, everything, because that's kind of like, as a brand owner, I want to make sure I have full control. So there's other markets that we can we can kind of like pivot into. Yeah. But as I said, at the moment, we just see like we just love like working with the hospitality and really innovating this space. So I just think, you know, these are such great brands and they have huge, huge potential. Um, and you know, that's something we want to be a part of. That feels like a great way to end. That sounds that sounds very good, Michael. What do you think? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's that's perfect. I'm just thinking like what else, like what other industry? Well, what we, had this whole com- we had this whole conversation a couple of days ago about dis- the distributors, right? And how yeah. that used to be Completely a uniquely industry. local business, but they had no yeah. way then to consolidate that up into mm-hmm. the parent, right? Yeah. And, and this solves that problem. And actually, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Completely, but it's completely yeah. separate, right? This is a, this is a, mm-hmm. a motorcycle distributor business, mm-hmm. but they have the same exact problems that they had distributors everywhere and no way to feed all of that data up to the top. So they didn't even know who was doing what. Because they've been doing that for years. Because they've been doing it for two yeah. generations, right? Two, 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 two generations, <laughs> so, so the model can evolve. But also there's a lot of, of, of companies that are doing um, e-commerce, but for B2B, like from the retailer to the supplier, right? Yeah. And just like yeah. in, enabling the API and the transfer of data and information like much e- e- easier. Like for example, I say, tires and I have my distributors in Thailand and then these distributors that have plenty of shops, then these companies that are going to link all the shops to the dis- dis- distributors and then to me 
directly and then also link me to all the countries where I sell my tires so then it's it's much easier to exactly know what's what's going on but also for the for the retailer at the end of the chain to order new tires exactly. and to also like manage the stock and and get the in inventory and all of that stuff much easier because it's all all on the same platform and this is happening right now like this is there's a lot of companies to do invest in the fnb business and in other kind of, of retail shops so that's that's also something that you could like go, in, go yeah, into and most, and most of them are just writing stuff down in a ledger too so they're losing all of the data yeah, and we exactly, can go yeah. we can go on and on in this you know this better than we do but <laughs> This it's is so awesome. true. This yeah. is really no, awesome. It's so true. Okay, Thanks. I think we're done. Amy, thank you so much for coming on and doing this today. CEO and thank founder you. of Tech Tembly. Awesome. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you. It's lovely speaking to you. Thank you very much.